certainly have fears that there is a serial killer at loose in Perth. Sarah Spears, Jane Rimmer, Kira Glennon. And every time you saw a young girl walking by, you think, oh God, is she going to be the next victim? Now, one man stands accused. If police are right and Edwards is the Claremont serial killer, he's been hiding in plain sight for 20 years. It's been revealed up to 17,000 people had their DNA tested as part of the Claremont serial killings investigation. Hello, on day 43 of the trial, Natalie Bongiolo, Tim Clark and Alison Fan joining you today. And really, this is the very first time that we've heard this number, which is absolutely staggering. And that's just for the this particular investigation. And of course, they're all on documents that have not been handed over and... We get to hear them maybe tomorrow. We just don't know. At this stage, there's a lot to go through for both. It's caused headaches for both the prosecution and the defence team, this delay. And the judge today um, sort of prompting and getting a bit more anxious and said he wants assurances that there are not other missing documents lurking out there that could cause even further delays. But yes, the uh, taxi drivers and, the, and everybody else that gave their DNA because it was a long-running investigation. So, Tim, how did it come about that you got this information today on what was a very, very short day in court? Yeah, it was it was short, but it was action-packed, as usual. Not even the t- 20 or 10 or so minutes we were sat there, we, we still found out something that has been under wraps for, you know, more than, more than 15 years. Um, and this was basically the prosecution going back and having a look at these new 400 new documents that they, they uh, revealed that had been uh, emerged uh, over over the weekend. Um, but then on top of that, um, they've now said, well, yes, and, and we have these documents that relate to these, as you say, 17,000 people who, who um, gave over their uh, their DNA samples in the absolute sort of maelstrom of, of what was the macro investigation. Um, when police uh, went on a blitz around Perth and we were desperate to, to get any any clues and, and that they, that in, now we know included um, nearly 20,000 people um, giving their DNA over and having it tested. Yeah, I mean, it's an extraordinary number. And was this because the, the judge had asked, is there is there anything else that you should be telling us? Well, yes. I mean, he wanted to know, obviously, but are we going to be ambushed like this again? Uh, you know, are we going to get any more unhappy surprises? And, and Miss Barbara Gallo assured him that she said there were there were no other documents lurking away, which is Justice Hall's words, not mine. Um, but then she did say, well, but actually we have found this um, and it, it might well become part of the evidence. There are more than going to be 60 new exhibits that are going to have to be uh, put forward now by the prosecution as part of this new tranche of evidence, a 35-page statement which was uh, being compiled by uh, Alex Bagdonovicius, which uh, has to be the longest statement ever compiled while a, a witness is actually giving evidence in court. Um, he, they gave him the extra day today because he needed to read over it and make sure it was all right today. So, um, as, as we said, it's 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 extremely uh, unfortunate and satisfactory to have to do this all on the run but that's exactly what they've done over the last couple of days and hopefully touch wood and we'll get back on tomorrow and get back the the trial back uh, on the rails as they say that's right and ali i mean we always knew that there 
thousands of taxi drivers had given their DNA samples and you know you'll recall as I recall those pictures that we would see on the TV news of taxis lined up as far as the eye could see and people you know um, having a swab taken of their inside cheek and having their fingerprints taken Um, so we knew there was thousands but to realize that this many people Um, had handed over their DNA in this period of time really does show how bigger and broader that scope was by the Macro Task Force. A lot of fear generated because everybody was asking who would um, these girls get into a car without thinking and of course the taxi industry was the immediate one. It it, um, generated fear with everybody um, that you do not get into a taxi because that's the only car that you get into without thinking, without any suspicions at all and the entire taxi industry was under suspicion and, you know, it was it was really a bad time for them. Yeah. We have a, a small clip here from one of the TV news broadcasts of from yourself, Alison, okay. back then. Taxi drivers faced accusations, lining up in their thousands to provide their DNA and fingerprints. It was like a taxi rank at Warwick Police Station this morning, only the cabs were going nowhere except to help police in their hunt for a serial killer. So police still have no crime suspect and it will be some two weeks before the results of these tests are known. Then, if there is no breakthrough, the Macro Task Force will consider testing other groups like Claremont's security guards and bar and restaurant workers. So I guess listening to that, Tim, um, what we know now, of course, after this information that was revealed in court today is that they obviously did go on to test so many more people. Yeah, you would not envy the person that was having to do all those tests because we've heard, I mean, it's, it's not just a case of taking a swab, you know, pu- putting it in a, in, a, in a special machine and getting a red or green light. It's a lot more, it's a lot more complicated than that. And so um, imagine the, the poor Path West workers having to process um, all, these, uh, all these swabs, take them, tabulate them, um, keep records of them. Um, and then uh, the, the police asking for the results probably as quickly as you could humanly get them. Um, and, I mean, the question it also raises for me is, with all these DNA samples, what were they comparing it to? I mean, because you've got to have a sample. What were they actually testing it against? I remember you there were concerns at the time, Tim, from lawyers saying that uh, if they've got nothing to compare it to, these taxi drivers could have a case against um, everybody. But what are they comparing it to? Yeah, well, and uh, and once again, it goes back to discussions we've had previously, Ali. They ha- we know that they had the Karakata rape sample in the Path West lab, and we know from John Townsend on yesterday's podcast telling us um, that the detectives, as far as he was concerned, had, had made the link between that uh, the Claremont, uh, the Karakata rape and the disappearance of Sarah Spears basically as soon as she went missing. So if they were comparing it against those DNA samples, well, good on them. They obviously didn't get a result because mm-hmm. uh, it was it was only many years later. But it also, again, does raise the question about Lance Williams. That's because right. they also had his DNA. So if they were comparing this DNA to the Karakata sample and to Lance, they shouldn't have been getting a result. And so... Uh, it, it just it just raises a whole <laughs> another set of questions about the investigation over many many years. We all knew that they, the police were trying everything they could, and, and this this number, this seventeen thousand number that we got today, absolutely proves that. But once again, it does raise the question as whether they were they they might have been working hard, but 
were they necessarily working as smart as they could? Yeah, and if they were comparing the samples to the Karakata rape victim, um, then obviously they were not excluding Lance Williams. So does that mean then that they were thinking to themselves, okay, well, we now don't think that these cases are connected? Well, yeah, it's it's just... I don't knows, know. Maybe, yeah. maybe there's more to come that that will explain this timeline. I'm not sure, but uh, but yeah, I mean the fact that they had this this they were doing this bulk of work, this body of work, um, it, it also backs up exactly what Ms. Barbara Gallo said many many moons ago. Now that there was millions of documents in this uh, in this brief, um, and you know these sixteen thousand DNA, seventeen thousand DNA test results. I mean, you can imagine how many lever arch folders they took yeah. up. And of course, it wasn't just Lance Williams who was, you know, scooped up in this net. All sorts of people um, had faced accusations and rumours and what have you. And and so many people felt like they were having to defend themselves. Well, everybody in Claremont was looking sideways at at, uh, the bar people, the glassies, the young kids around there, the Claremont mayor, of course. Even the mayor, Peter Wagers, at one point, was having to publicly defend himself and say, this is absolutely outrageous. And because because there were police hanging off his roof, I think. And yeah. well, we've, got, we've got pictures in our f- archives of, of a police officer literally with his hand inside <laughs> the roof space of Mr. Wiggins' home in Claremont. And uh, as, as John said yesterday, Claremont's the Golden Triangle. If that didn't get some curtains twitching, I wouldn't know what would. That's right. Well, we do actually have a clip um, from that time. To be falsely and maliciously accused of such totally bizarre, obscene and vicious allegations of committing murders you know nothing about. And of course um, it's all too late for Lance Williams. I mean he's gone. Uh, uh, Peter Wagers has been yelling all along. That's about right. And that's Peter Wagers. That was Peter Wagers, the Claremont Mayor. Um, and uh, other people too, right through Claremont, they're looking, everybody was so fearful and paranoid that they, every, the restauranters, the Anybody had had anything to do with Claremont was immediately under suspicion. People have rung up and said, you know, the fellow lives next door is a real strange sort of a person. Now, of course, um, these delays are, are messing up a lot more than just um, the hearings of the day. Next week, the um, witnesses, Tim, they've all been having to be rescheduled. Yeah, well, the, I mean, this is what we talked about, the ripple effect of these things. It's not just the, the immediate delay, the cost of it, the inconvenience of it, but because it's such a, a you know many-headed beast this trial and, and so many different moving parts there were witnesses that had been due to give evidence we understand from the UK video links coming in from various parts of the the city and the state um, and because now we're now going to lose three days at least uh, of hearing time that knocks everything back Mr. Bagdonovich is probably be at least another couple of hours with his evidence in chief tomorrow and then the cross-examination which will take as long as it takes so yeah it's it's just though one of those domino things that when when one one falls over there there is uh, there is knock-on effects so uh so there'll be a lot of uh, reshuffling as well as uh, reading and re-signing of statements and all sorts going on in the background today before we all uh we, well, not all of us put our gowns back on, but the lawyers put their gowns yeah. back on tomorrow and, and get back into it. And delays, of course, cost an enormous amount of money. Alison, this is a very expensive trial. Well, all the trials are expensive, particularly this one, um, running into the millions. But um, I think lawyers have put a cost of 
at least $50,000 a day. But even as the judge was talking about it today, even if we do have to sit at a certain time next week to accommodate the UK, they've got to get extra security. They've got to open courts when they're not meant to be open at night time. It's it's all the peripheral staff and security and video links and other um, members of the whole court community that become involved. Yeah. I mean, if you do the maths, just think about that. $50,000 a day, you're looking at around a million dollars a month. So for every month that this trial runs, um, you know, you're extending into potentially tens of millions of dollars. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, that's, that's pretty much what the state government has budgeted for um, on both sides, because um, listeners might not be aware or not, but Mr. Edwards's defence is being paid for by legal aid, which is which is also public money because um, no one, well, apart from a handful of billionaires, maybe in in Australia, will be able to afford the kind of defence that is needed um, when you're facing such serious allegations. You got you know five very senior lawyers just sat at the front. You've got the judge. You've got all the police and everyone else. The staff helping um, you can you can quite easily see where that money is going but uh, it hasn't been going uh, anywhere fast the last three days unfortunately and in terms of um, the cost to for Bradley Edwards defense that's um, paid for by legal aid which yes. is paid for by the taxpayer correct which people don't understand but without a defense there's no trial that's right so that that just has to happen and usually if there's a senior counsel QC on one side there has to be a matching one on the other side so that's just the cost that is necessary for a trial to take place yes. yeah and even with a uh, if, if you're forced to I mean the, the the logic is if you're forced to pay for it yourself and you won't be able to afford to pay um, the best then you might get bad defence which could lead to an appeal uh, not forbid, <laughs> and a, 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 a mistrial or an appeal and that's that's not what anyone wants, certainly not a mistrial. Um, so I, I know it upsets a lot of people in the community to think that someone who's facing these allegations does get his defence paid for, but as he sits today, he's an innocent man and, he def- and he's, he's entitled to um, the best defence um, he, he can get. And that would be something that any person in any situation would also be entitled to. Absolutely. Hmm. Uh, I'm curious about the the 17,000 people that had their DNA tested as part of this investigation. The names of those people, is it likely that they would be tendered as public documents, that we would find out who, all these people who were tested? Well, the prosecutor said today that they're there if the defence wants them. That's how she put it. So I unless he finds something significant among, among those names or among those documents, I doubt if it'll come out. Oh, I mean, that's that's true. I mean, if he wants, as we've said so many times, the defence is entitled to see everything mm-hmm. if he wants to. Um, and that's what Miss um, Barbagallo said this morning. If the names are here, if Mr Yarmich wants to go through them, he's quite welcome. Uh, whether that gets tendered as an exhibit, well, we'll have to wait and see. Even if it was, I very much doubt that Justice Hall would see there was any public interest in the trial or in anyone else's interest for those names to become public. So they are there on a file somewhere, um, and I'm, sh- I'm sure there are many hundreds of taxi drivers in Perth still driving around today that, that, that might have offered their, their details up voluntarily to help the police but I'm sure they wouldn't want them out in the in the, in the public arena and uh, I'm pretty sure Justice Hall wouldn't let that happen. I am very curious as to whether um, Telstra workers 
were tested or how many Telstra work workers gave over their DNA back then. Oh, don't start me on that. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt if there were. It was all taxi drivers and even, even the police came under suspicion because they talked about a car that had a logo of some kind. No mention of Telstra. We, we heard taxis, we heard police. But we do know that police were making a link to Telstra. We just no, didn't know that publicly. No. So yeah. well, I mean, they were certainly making inquiries, and that, as we've heard before, of, uh, of, of cars and workers. But, uh, I mean, there's been absolutely no suggestion then or now that they went as far as, uh, as, as, for, as swabbing uh, Telstra workers. But uh, I don't know. They well, should have, because, well. I mean, you, you talk about the Karakata rape. The guards were quite specific when they mentioned Telstra and, or Telecom. That's right. And, and that's all we need. I mean, you see other um, investigations where involving children at school, they'll come out straight away and beware of a white van, beware of this. I just still can't get my head around why they didn't put that out. It yeah. could have been, look, look for a Telstra or Telecom. It's not like you're going to defame anyone. It's, you know, there's hundreds of employees. That's right. I mean, we do know, though, from the evidence that we've heard so far that um, – uh, Bradley Edwards, through the work records and what have you, was not submitted as a driver at the time, was he? Well, we we, we do know that he was... Uh, no, that's right, he wasn't a driver. He, that wasn't his role, that wasn't his job. But um, they they also did have records that he were, had been issued a car or cars um, personally and also had ac- access to pool cars as well so um and that was uh, that that was one line of inquiry that they certainly did did um follow up with but uh um as i was about to say even on very short days we get revelations in this case that um that make our ears prick up and our, our eyes widen so who knows what's to come did pathwest provide this please explain yet to the judge that was being firmed up, uh, I think, today. Um, they were going to um, complete that. Um, Scott Egan, who's um, one of the, uh, again, one of the very senior staff members at Pathwest, was uh, apparently uh, crossing the T's and dotting the I's on that. So uh, that, might, that may well be tended, um, you know, by the end of the week. I would have thought, and uh, we'll maybe make, make some gentle inquiries if that becomes an exhibit. Whether we might. We, whether we might see it because uh, personally I think that is in the public interest to know exactly how um, uh, you know how, how, how something like this can happen absolutely and also uh, further exhibits you've heard will now be tended as a result of these um, you another know. what 60, 60 something more yeah, exhibits yeah, yeah. some 60 odd and, and we're assuming they're documents that re- do relate to the DNA um, low copy number testing on the fingernails which um, which is of absolute uh, prime interest um, to to everyone involved and so obviously they're deemed important enough to uh, be placed as an exhibit um, to add to the many many dozens of exhibits uh, that Justice Hall has already uh, got um, on, on his desk and on his computer. Well, as we mentioned, Carmel Barbagallo asked for another adjournment today. Uh, do you think that uh, court will resume tomorrow as per usual? I think so. I think, um, well, they said 10 o'clock. What he has done is he said to the defence, look, you don't have to cross-examine in a hurry. I'll give you a few more days to get your head around this. Um, so it's not like, if she, although she has said she needs a, a couple of days, so... He's given uh, the defence, Paul Jovic, a bit of extra time that he needs if he has to assess or re-examine anything.
Yeah, if I was a betting man and I'm not that, um, <laughs> my wife would be happy to know. Um, I think we'll get on back on tomorrow. I think Mr. Bagdonovich will finish his evidence in chief, and then I've got a, I've got a suspicion or a feeling that Mr. Jovic will take that time um, over the weekend to mm. absolutely get it all clear in his head, and then we'll um, we'll start afresh on Monday. But uh, as we know, this trial just twists and turns in many different ways, and uh, maybe we'll get another twist tomorrow. Well, let's see what happens. 10am tomorrow morning, you'll both be back in court and we will be back with you for day 44 of Claremont In Conversation. We'll chat to you then. This podcast was produced by Kate Ryan and Alicia Preedy and recorded in the studios of Seven West Media. Audio files were provided from the archives of the Seven Network and the West Australian. Sign up for daily emails and all the latest on the Claremont trial at thewest.com.au. Enjoying this podcast? If the story behind the headline matters to you, then you can count on thewest.com.au to deliver. For more on Claremont The Trial, follow the live blog, watch the nightly news updates, and sign up for daily email updates at thewest.com.au. Subscribe now for just a dollar a day at thewest.com.au.